0: Season three. What of it? What of it? You are listening to We Are The Stigma, a show about an addict husband and alcoholic wife challenging stigmas one at a time. We will be chatting with like-minded individuals using honesty, open-mindedness, and humor. Thanks for listening. Our episodes deal with potentially triggering topics. We are not doctors, and the opinions stressed are our own. If at any time you feel the need for support, please contact your local crisis center for more information or visit wearethestigma.com backslash resources.
1: Hey guys, you're listening to We Are the Stigma. My name is Melissa, and as always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host
0: Cody Christ. Season three.
1: What of it? What
0: of it?
1: Did you guys miss us?
0: We missed you all terribly. That's
1: what I was going to say. You took my I line. T- well,
0: you know, we're one in the same. We
1: are one in. The we're same. one in the same. No, we did fucking miss you guys, and we're so pumped. If you can't hear it in your voices, well, too bad. Too bad. Turn up the <laughs> radio. Turn
0: up the volume. <laughs> you. No, we're so. Fucking
1: I was going to say happy. you bitches.
0: <laughs> rude
1: uh, we're so happy to be here. We're so just we're so stoked mm-hmm. and so excited for what season three is to bring. And I mean, I can't believe we're here. I know.
0: I just I'm so proud of us. Wait, me too. you know, and I. you know, I feel like we were maybe gone a little bit too long, but at the same time, you gotta do what you gotta it, do. But it also feels r- really perfect because these interviews that we have lined up already are so good. Are so good.
1: Yeah, all of our interviews are so good. And we're gonna have to, we always say we need a thesaurus because we always say so good and so beautiful, beautiful. and so incredible. And for sure. shout <laughs> Um No, so well, how was should, your break?
0: Well, we should tell them the big news. What's the big so news? So since our last um We're last having episode, another baby. No, we had four. <laughs>
1: four babies? That's
0: what I was gonna say.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we are two in the same. Yeah, exactly. No, that is false. <laughs> No more we are babies. We're not having any more babies. No more babies. In fact, on the break, Cody had a vasectomy. I did. So that
0: was probably the biggest thing that happened.
1: I think so. And it really feels hurt. So long ago. That was a baby. That was wild. Yeah, mine hurt. Did I? Mean, I know. You know,
0: and you know, and I, it, they you told me a baby. They, they told me it wouldn't.
1: Well, you know, sometimes they have to say things to people to make them cut their penises open. So
0: if you're following us hoping we have another kid, you can unfollow us right now because it is not happening.
1: (laughs) And if you're following us thinking that vasectomies don't hurt, they don't. So go get one. Yeah,
0: it's true. I I think (laughs) that, like, I had one of those rare vasectomies that hurt like a bitch. (laughs) Yep.
1: And uh, so that happened. What's new with you?
0: What's going on with you? Fill in our list, Melissa. What, what have you been up to?
1: I've not been up to much. I've been up to lots. I've been reselling, reselling and like
0: a multiple. Yeah, I
1: just got that hustle strong, and yes. so that's what's big in my life. You know, I'm trying to go part time at work yes, and then yes. go part time at work. Yes, yes, um, for multiple reasons. And uh, you know, I'm excited for when that day comes.
0: Yeah, and you know, I'm just building the YouTube channel, yeah. focusing on the Instagram. Got some fun things lined up. Yeah, The universe is working in my favor right absolutely. now. So. Well, yeah, we've excited.
1: had some gnarly. You've had some crazy universe uh, happenings, yep. but we don't want to bore you guys with that. No, um, we just want to let you know that we're doing really well, and we hope that you were doing really well as well.
0: And we really missed you guys. And we're we did. so excited.
1: We're so excited to get back. It involved. did feel
0: too long. A little bit, Not right? That you yeah, you know, it's a little long. long. I feel like we should have like probably started like a month ago. Yeah, but, but that's how, how we do stuff. I know. It's just I who know. we but are. We're back. We're and back. You know, it's it's in the past.
1: It is in the past, and, and I, I can't, know. Probably happen next season.
0: <laughs> it might be even longer, so so suck it. But,
1: um, yeah, we're back with weekly episodes. This first episode, we are interviewing an incredible woman. And let me tell you, this interview, we always go into no interviews with no expectations. Yes. We go into all interviews with no expectations. And this interview, we had kind of an outline, and it just took a turn, a beautiful well, turn. I
0: think it's really important to point out. So with the interview was going amazing, right? Yeah. But when you when you listen to this episode, listen to it probably about, I don't know, if it might be 20 minutes or something. Melissa asks a question. Mm-hmm. She kind of interrupts me very rudely. Sorry. To, no, it's perfect. And asks this question, and it takes it in this just-
1: Whole other direction. Whole other
0: direction that was so important that if we had- I mean, obviously, if it hadn't happened, we wouldn't have known what we'd missed. But now it's just like it, that that was the part that needed to be talked that needed about to be talked about. And we almost missed it. We
1: almost missed it. And I just felt like I almost missed. It. I know we I just almost felt like I just felt like it. I didn't know you'll hear we're talking about um, the highway of tears, but we're not talking about that. But that's where it gets led into mm-hmm.
0: the highway of tears is a stretch in Canada And it runs along a lot of indigenous communities. And for decades, Mm -hmm. women and girls in the indigenous community have just disappeared. Mm -hmm. They've been murdered. They've just been kidnapped. I mean, literally just thousands of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's this huge huge deal that's going on mm-hmm. and you and i uh, you know in our small little sheltered world in san diego california were not was not aware of this mm-hmm. and then she started talking about you know the, there's the it's there's hashtag mmiwg which is missing and murdered indigenous women and girls and <clears throat> i recommend you follow that hashtag elaine gets into it it is so deeply moving so sad mm-hmm. but also so much you know To see the people who are in that struggle, putting the work in like Elaine and all the other people to, to, you know, bringing mental health to focus, having people talk about it. And you know what, the the part that pissed me off the most in the episode was, and it was so obvious. (laughs) Yeah, my voice listening back to it. I was like, God, Cody is an idiot. No, is of course the what brought attention to the Highway of Tears was because a white woman was, right missing. W- was mm-hmm. went missing, and so then it became a national issue. Mm-hmm. And th- I think it's like three thousand. I hope I get that number right. But uh, thousands of women and girls have gone missing who weren't white, and, and nobody cared. Nothing happened. What's
1: so interesting, and so the reason we almost missed, we almost skimmed over this when elaine was talking about it we almost skimmed over it or I, I know i almost skimmed over it because i didn't know how to politically ask the question right. i didn't know how to i don't know what you're talking about can you explain that i didn't know how to say that without being insulting Yeah. because like you said there in our little world we have the privilege of not needing to know about it right. not knowing about it not right. hearing about it right and um I just felt like it needed to be talked about. So I, that's why I kind of stopped. and I say, can I ask something real No, it's
0: brilliant. I mean, I, d- I straight up, it. I missed it. Like there was something about, I don't know if I was thinking about the next question or, mm-hmm. or what was going on, mm-hmm. but it was just, it was such like, just, I'm just so stoked you asked that question yeah. because that, I mean, it would have, like I said, it would have been great without it because of we talk about recovery. She has 14 years in recovery. She has an amazing book mm-hmm. called Calling My Spirit Back. Please purchase it. Check it out. Give her a review on Amazon. And so, and we talk about all that stuff, mm-hmm. but it's such a deep, meaningful, you know, you hear about anti-racism and racism. And of course, in America, you know, you predominantly hear about it. You know, it's the, it's, it's against, BLM. exactly mm-hmm. BLM. And so what it was just so important, important. for exactly. that to be shared and exactly. for, and for, to give a voice and to have our podcast help that in some ways, just, you know, it's, is. is was very important
1: and it's so it was a really good reminder to how do we have these difficult conversations we get uncomfortable right and we we just raise our hands and say i don't understand yeah and you don't worry about okay maybe i'm gonna come off as offensive right now but it's important that you even if you have to to put yourself in this light that's you know, you don't really know what's going on. Right. You're kind of ignorant and you might sound offensive, but you risk that because you know that it is important that you, you learn. Well,
0: it's like you risking that change the whole dynamic of our, I mean, of we, the episode. Yeah.
1: And it's so, it's such like Cody said, it's such an important. And, and when he, when Elaine talked about, um, when she said the highway of tears, I was like, holy shit, I've heard of the highway of tears. And because I listen to a lot of true crime, yeah. I've never heard of it as of, in, spoke about in that community. Right. I've only heard of true crime. I've only heard of murders that have happened to white women via the Highway of Tears. Right, right. So when she said the Highway of Tears, I was just like, wait, I've heard of this. Mm-hmm. So it just, you know, I just, I w- I remember I was talking to my coworkers a couple of days later and I was just still so honored and and humbled and and shocked. And I just felt very blessed to be able to have that opportunity. And yeah, it's understanding that I have the privilege of not knowing these things. And it's not going to – it wouldn't affect my life one way or another if I never learned of it. Right. Right? Because it doesn't affect my life. Right. But the thing is, like, you don't have – you can allow it to – to make an impact, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, it's, an, it's an about
0: humans caring about other humans, right? Exactly. Like, because it doesn't, will not you know enter our home and it's not something that's in our country, mm-hmm. doesn't take the validity and the importance, no, and it, uh, it's importance away from f- it. Absolutely
1: not. And it just and and it, to go into and it's such an important piece of her work. So, that's another reason I'm really glad we delved into it because it really ties in all of
0: all of it all ties, ties together. Work. And About her, like she wanted to write a book for a really long time, and, yeah, and how you know, going into followed, this, yeah, yeah followed, followed her, her into her and, the work.
1: And so, um, it was just, it's, it's just so, it, if anything, I got from it hope, and I got from it just this, this hopeful feeling that there are out there, are people out there doing some deep they're doing the deep work and yeah I'm like so the, grateful. the the
0: stuff where you are dealing with people who are have tr- like just really you know in communities mm-hmm. who have just trauma, trauma. And, and you there know, are people and they're, out
1: there giving voices and creating and, safe spaces, uh, yes. and and doing what seems impossible because despite the immediate attention, despite what has happened, it's still very
0: little ha- very little, little happened. Little after is commissions, going on. after these commissions that yeah. were, you know, and she said a couple years and later, now it's like
1: okay, well, COVID, yeah. But if it wasn't COVID, what would it have been? That would have been the right. next thing to put it on pause. Right. And so it just reminds me of just the humanness that is in our. World,
0: Yeah, totally. All right. So let me just give a quick bio for her. So Elaine Alec is an author, political advisor, women's advocate, and spiritual thought leader and teacher for over two decades. Elaine has been leading expert in indigenous community planning, health advocacy, and creating safe spaces, utilizing indigenous approaches and ceremony. She is legit.
1: So legit. And she's a mom and she's relatable and she's funny and she's so sweet. And I just want to emphasize how important this entire interview is and the work that she is doing and I just I am spreading our gratitude out to her all the way in Canada you know I know you guys are gonna love it and it's so important so give this episode a share Um, as always we do ask if you have opportunity if you have the time if this interview touched you in any sort of way um, (laughs) non-sexually if this interview touched you in any sort of way if you guys could go over to itunes give us a five-star review it truly helps us break that algorithm and get our message out which is as you all know ultimately our only end goal Um, and like i said this this like we said this this interview is so important and so eye-opening and so if you are able to share it share it and you can you can give her a follow you can give elena a follow we have everything linked in the show notes and of course we're going to be tagging her on our instagram and you can find us on all social media platforms underscore we are the stigma and we love you guys so very much and we will see you next week and the week after and the week after and the week after for an all new episode of we are the stigma and we are so happy to have you guys back have a great week
0: bye bye guys see you next week we missed you Elaine, thank you so much for coming on the show with us.
2: I'm so happy to be here. I love you both already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good. good. <laughs> so so first, why don't you just fill us in just a little bit about well, wait, Elaine, I have a question. Oh, yes.
2: Do you take naps? Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> I used to take naps. I oh, um, nap, yeah, used to take naps. Yeah. But I have a three-year-old now and he uh, let me. He lets my husband take naps whenever he wants, but mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to take naps.
0: Oh, that's you know, that's how, your life. that's how our, we have a three-year-old too. So we have, we have a almost one-year-old, almost four-year-old and a six-year-old. And I feel like Emerson, he's our three-year-old. He would never let you take naps. No, if it were he just wouldn't. You guys. Yeah. He wouldn't. Cause he, he wouldn't. just needs his mom.
1: Yeah. He wouldn't be cool with that. <laughs> he's not even really that cool with you sometimes. Well,
0: just naps. since you don't get to take naps, they honestly suck. You don't have to worry about it.
1: They're <laughs> feel good. They're terrible. Just, you just feel groggy
0: more tired yeah so it's a waste of time
1: so you have a three-year-old
0: <laughs>
2: yeah i actually have a three-year-old a 10-year-old and a
0: 25-year-old oh See? so you're cool. a seasoned mother yeah, seasoned vet <laughs> out of diapers and in diapers
2: yeah yeah i did it was just so fun the first time i had to do it again and again and decided Uh, to do one in every decade
0: (laughs) (laughs) just space it out so you can really build the anticipation (laughs) yeah yeah oh
1: well
0: that's cool that is cool those are some
2: good ages are
0: they boys or girls?
2: Uh, so my oldest, uh, son, uh, Kyle, he's 25 and then, uh, my daughter is 10 and then our youngest Teslin is three, a boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So she's like us, two yeah. boys and a girl. Two boys and a girl. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good for you. That's exciting. That is
0: exciting. So. Before we get into kind of the heavy stuff, I thought, well, who knows if it'll be heavy, but to get into sobriety and those types of things, why don't I really want our listeners to hear about your book? Yeah. So why don't you? Do you mind just giving us just how you got the idea for the book? What what felt what calling you felt to write the book? And, yeah. And just give us your 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 snippets of what you love about the book.
2: Oh, my gosh, I, I've wanted to write a book since I was 20. I kind of thought it would be about my life, but I thought it would be more like loosely based on my life because I wasn't comfortable with sharing all of my story without I still carried a lot of shame around it. Um, and then last uh, in the summer of 2019, I traveled across the province of British Columbia to talk to communities about uh community safety for Indigenous women and girls. And we had some really difficult conversations uh, about multi-generational trauma and uh, the lack of support and capacity we have in our communities to support safe spaces. And out of that work, we talked about um, needing to build capacity and needing to get people trained around uh, creating safe spaces and promoting spaces to uh, start healing. And so it really in it. It motivated me, and I actually felt more of a sense of responsibility to write the book after those sessions. And so that's what I did. That happened in the summer of 2019. December is usually my slowest month. And so I told my husband, I'm going to write this book, and I want to have the first draft done by the new year. And so I set up my space and I locked myself in a room for 29 days and I wrote my first draft.
0: Wow. Wow. That's so cool. What was that process like for you? Was it cathartic? Was it you know difficult? Was it all of the above?
2: All of the above. Um, I wrote an outline and uh kind of areas that I wanted to talk about that I felt were uh pivotal points of my life. And through the process, the first the first three quarters of it were the hardest. And um I had to do uh trauma therapy and counseling. And I went to AA meetings three times a week. Um, as I moved through it, I went home and went back to my territory and sat by the water and jumped in the water and went to some of our healing places. Um, just because it was triggering me so much to work through some of the stuff and not realizing that it was still things I needed to deal with. I thought I was in a different, like, I thought I was much further ahead than I, I actually was. Um, And so the first, yeah, it was really slow and really painful and really hard to write the first three, like the first um, part of the book. And then when I got to the last piece, um, it just like it was like this breath of fresh air, like I could breathe again. And I just wrote so quickly through the last chapters of the book.
0: Wow. Wow. That's deeply beautiful. Yeah, that is. I love that. So it's almost that. like the book itself was a healing journey for you. Yeah. You know, I remember when Melissa, uh, we, in the first season of our episode, we both kind of share about our addiction and our traumas growing up and something. And and I I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think it was the first time in a long time where you had kind of gone really yeah. deep into talking about it. And, you know, it's one of those things where after you bring those things up that you aren't even sure how much they are still a part of you. I mean, you are- emotionally hung over, you are, you are (laughs) drained. I mean, all of that stuff is just so difficult. I can't imagine doing it in a process of, you know, 29 29 days days. and going into you, like the deepest part of you. And I mean, that's gotta be, I mean, that's amazing of you to kind of take those proactive steps. And
1: yeah. And what I thought was so one of the really, that just is a a testament to like you as a woman and your own personal growth and your own healing is like, you knew what you needed to do. You knew you needed to go to meetings. You knew you needed to go to therapy. You knew that you could go to the land that was healing to you. And, and you did that. And I mean, that's like a, a, a huge goal in recovery is to, to have your own tools and to know how and when to use them. So that's really awesome.
2: Yeah, it was. And I mean, I always tell people I don't like going to AA meetings. I have to force myself to go, but I know that it's needed. Uh, And I use a bunch of different tools for my recovery and sobriety, and AA is just one of them. And it's not always my favorite, but it's necessary. And my sponsors and my godparents always remind me, go to all lengths. And so when you think you don't need it is probably when you need it the most.
0: Yeah, yeah. So true. So why don't you fill the listeners in a little bit about, so we talked about the process of the book. What What would be the hope, the message that you hope people get from reading Calling My Spirit Back?
2: Well, when I first wrote the book, it was to all of those individuals who sat in front of me and told me their stories and asked me their questions um, around healing um, and how do we get to that place. And so I wrote the book like I was having a conversation with those people and thinking about all of the stories in my life um, and all of the advice I received over the years um, that helped me survive and so i I felt like I was sitting with somebody sharing the story in that way. And it was originally for just people who wanted to cultivate safe space and and um, have hard conversations within their community or within their organization, you know, a tool or a resource for people to do that work. Um, and then, Uh, Black Lives Matter happened and people started talking about um, anti-racism and diversity and inclusion. And people really picked up on that. Um, And so and and then as my book started getting out there, different groups of people started reaching out to me, um, the sober community, um, the sober mom community uh it, diversity and inclusion communities um so so many people started to reach out to me about it and i think you know the common theme for all of it is i think promoting that awareness of self and that self love and that that is really the answer to all of the work that we need to do to address any of those things
0: i mean it's so true uh-huh. i but- mean for yeah i was just going to i mean self love is You know, I've shared about it a lot, lot, like on my Instagram about it. But I mean, it's such a, it's such a important topic that so many people are unaware of how important it is. You know, so many people go through their lives just, just completely hating themselves, completely thinking that they are meant to trash on themselves because, for whatever reason, and. once you are finally able to get people to understand or be open to the idea of how important it is to kind of live your life with love in your heart for yourself. I mean, there's so much drastic change. I mean, I, I've seen that change. Melissa's seen that change. It's one of those foundational things that once you, like I said, even just become open to it and exploring it, whatever that looks like for you, that's when really big shifts can start happening internally and externally as well. So for, let's talk a little bit, if you don't mind about, and I said, you're, you're, I know you said that everything is, is fair game, but why don't you talk, <laughs> why don't you talk a little bit about your sobriety journey? Why don't you fill well, our,
1: Can I just go to the book real quick? I just want to go back to the mm-hmm. book real quick. So first I just wanted to, I just want to highlight the fact that, so you said you had been wanting to write this book till, since you were 20 mm-hmm. and then through that journey you went around and you met with other women in your community is that what 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 your
2: yeah different indigenous communities throughout um they've throughout the whole the province of british columbia
1: now did you do that with intention of working on your book or did you do it because you felt
2: called to do that Um, The work that it was part of the work that I was doing um, through my company, Alder Hill Planning. Um, We did a contract with the Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General in response to the um, MMIWG National Inquiry. Okay. And so can you tell us what that stands for? Um, MMIWG stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Okay. So can you... Speak on that because
1: I don't think I know that I am not aware and I don't think that Cody would really be aware of like what, how that like, um,
0: How it's impacting the community. Yeah,
2: I I didn't even know it was a thing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, for the last 30 plus years, we've had Indigenous women advocates um, trying to bring attention to the RCMP um, and the Government of Canada that there have been. and a crazy amount of Indigenous women and girls that have gone missing over the decades. Um, and nothing was done about it. And there is one particular stretch of highway in British Columbia that's called the Highway of Tears. Because of the amount of uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, a lot of the cases stem from that area. And uh, it's an area where there's no cell service or, or Wi-Fi. And. Um, and it's it's in a it's in the northern part of British Columbia, and it wasn't until a white woman who was a, I believe she was a tree planter went missing on that highway when um, the RCMP responded to it um, and then as they responded as the media paid attention to it, that was when the advocates came forward to say, "This isn't the first woman that's gone missing on this highway and so what they've found now is that there are over 3,000 uh, indigenous women and girls that have gone missing um, that have been unsolved and that um, many of the cases have gone uh, uninvestigated by the RCMP. And so um, back in, I can't remember the years that it happened but there was a serial killer in um, the Fraser area of British Columbia, his name was Willie Picton. And he murdered a number of women, most of them um, Indigenous women. And he went through trial, and then an inquiry was called, um, and it was called the Opal Inquiry, where they identified the systemic racism happening within the RCMP. <clears throat> and it went on; it, it, it nothing happened from that. And so, what they started to realize it was after that that this was a this wasn't just happening in British Columbia; it was happening all across Canada that Indigenous women's lives were more expendable um, and that we were more likely to be go missing or be murdered. Um, and so there have been thousands. The, the, the advocates across Canada called for a, a national inquiry. They called on the government of Canada to do this inquiry. Um, and so the Trudeau government uh, decided to... Um, to answer that call. And so there was a big national inquiry that was launched across Canada and there were commissioners appointed to hear um, women's testimonies and families' testimonies of what happened to their loved ones. And so a report was written called uh, the National Inquiry's uh, Final Report. And so the different provinces responded to that to see what can we do to address these issues within our own provinces. And so that was part of the work that I was involved in in B.C. Wow. wow. And it's, you know, it's interesting or
1: I don't know what this is, but um, I've heard of the Highway of Tears and I've heard of that serial killer, but I've never heard it connected to the Indigenous community, mm-hmm. which is just testament to exactly what you're saying. So how long have you been, have you been kind of advocating and, and working on in this?
2: Um, probably I, I feel like I, I'm just, I, I haven't been involved in this area for that long. Um, I started my, I, I kind of fell into the role. Um, I was, um, sexually assaulted uh, when I was 36 uh, by a prominent uh, political leader. And uh, it caused me to experience post-traumatic stress and I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, And then found out I was having PTSD and I really had to struggle through it because it jeopardized my sobriety. I I just about started drinking again because I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, And then when I realized what it was, and how normal it was and how common it was um, for women in various positions to be sexually assaulted by uh, people in power. Um, I started speaking out uh, about it at at leadership tables, at political tables, um, and I became known for bringing awareness to that. And so I was elected as the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs Women's Representative. And that's a role that's elected by the chiefs of BC. And um, that was a three-year term. And through that term, um, I was introduced to the work around MMIWG. And so it just kind of happened um, because I started sharing my story.
1: I mean, it, it, make, it makes sense because I'm like hanging on to every word you're, you're saying. So like your passion definitely comes through in your speaking. So it would make sense. And by when you said like that you're experiencing PTSD, is it from that one event or is it did that bring up trauma from other events that happened in your life?
2: It was all the built up trauma from my childhood. And so experiencing abuse from the age of four to 10 uh, and not really talking about it or addressing it. I just kind of felt like I got over it and just stuffed it away and got through it. And so when I was 36 and I was inappropriately groped, um, I couldn't get out of bed. I started going through depression. I had writer's block. I couldn't focus or think. I couldn't focus on a simple form to fill out. I felt like, you know, I didn't know what was going on with me. And it wasn't until I mentioned it at a meeting that someone Told me to look into PTSD. And so I I talked to a therapist about it and we worked through it. Um, but found out it was the what I was experiencing was um, you know, all of the things that had happened to me that when I was younger kind of coming up. And so my brain was going back to that time and place and my body was reacting to that. Yeah, that's what I
1: figured.
0: So I just wanted to ask a question too. So with with so many murders and women going missing? Was it, I mean, do they, is it one of those things where it's just, it, it was almost nobody was getting caught. So it was so many more people were coming, like how, wh- what made it, is there an idea of what made it so many women go missing and kill? Uh,
2: there's so, yeah, there's so many different um, <laughs> theories and, and people have so many different, like, there's just so, it's just, there's just so many systemic issues that need to be addressed when it comes to that. Mm. Um, But a lot of it is like what's happening in Canada and British Columbia right now is that there's um, like there's inquiries and there's um, different things happening within our governments to take a look at um, the systemic racism that's happening within our different service providers and how, Indigenous people don't receive the same services as the general Canadian population. And so we don't want to talk to police because, you know, there were a lot of police that were named as um, abusers Mm. and and people who, you know, were were. Perpetrators, um, and so their uh, Indigenous women don't feel safe going to the RCMP. Um, and then also when we go to the um, the hospital, there the there was a report released by Mary Ellen Turfond who talked about racism in the healthcare system in British Columbia. Um, And so there's a bunch of stuff happening around that understanding how, you know, we have different policies and how um, Indigenous peoples are treated when they try to access services and why there's a lack of um, why there's a lack of, I guess, uh, reporting that happens around that and how um, when there is a report, how it's discarded and they're uh, marked as unfounded.
0: I mean, there's just nowhere to turn and why would you, and why would you trust them? You know, and it, and it all comes down to, I mean, I think a point that should be brought up again is how all of these murders were happening, but then it was a white woman that brought the national attention that brought all the press that brought all this about where Mm -hmm. if it had not been a white woman, I mean, who knows how much longer this would have been going on. I mean, it's still going on obviously, but at least brought to a national stage. I
1: mean, Mm -hmm. it's like any I guess marginalized community would be the word. Um, I mean, it's the same reason that sex workers don't go to the cops, don't report mm-hmm. their abuse. It's the same reason African American, the African American community can't yeah, trust the cops exactly,
0: yeah. and
1: gets different options in healthcare treatment. Um, so, does this still, I, obviously, I'm sure, but like, is there Wi Fi now on that highway? Like, have, has anything been done?
2: We're still so June fifth will be the two year anniversary since the National Inquiry was completed. Um, And so there's a lot of advocacy groups asking governments like what's happened since and so one of the things is, of course, COVID happened. And so you know, there was a whole bunch of promises made to address some of the recommendations from the inquiry, but none of them were really uh, like there was no work really done around that, and so, I mean, it's still like we're still dealing with the same thing: violence against women, not just indigenous women, but violence against women has increased since COVID. Um, and same thing with violence against children in their homes because of COVID. Um, and so there's been a uh, there's been a greater need for safety for women and children. Um, during this time, but because of everything, I mean, we're tapped everywhere, we don't have the resources to support, you know, what's happening with with COVID, we don't have the resources in place needed to support mental health, because we've seen that over the years, like how, like over this past year, how much mental health a- affects everybody. Um, and then there's the opioid crisis that's happening as well. And so there's just so many great needs happening right now that, you um, it, there's just people are doing what they can right now, but nothing has really changed as far as um, the needs of Indigenous people have gone.
0: So and when you've been speaking w- with the Indigenous people, I mean, it's if it's coming up on two years and, you know, I understand COVID was a total world changer and everything. But at the same point, I mean, two years without seeing much change and also the point where all these advocacy groups are trying to find out what was what has actually been done. How how is that impacting the communities as a whole, when you speak with them, I mean, it must be a a situation where they felt like there was some movement to then two years of stalling and where it just must be very draining and must be very traumatic for the communities.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're just starting our second round of uh, conversations with people who we talked to in 2019. We're starting that on Saturday, doing some virtual sessions with people um, just to see where they're at and what's happening, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it can be it can be really overwhelming. Um, the work, especially for advocacy groups and people who are involved, feeling like nothing ever changes. Um, And it and it just sucks, Um, which is, you know, another reason why I I wrote the book, too, was to address like, yes, we we're dealing with this. Yes, there's a bunch of systemic issues we need to deal with that aren't going to change overnight. And so what can we do to have hope and find inspiration to keep moving forward? And I think that was the biggest part I learned through doing that work with all of those individuals was we had some traumatic loss. We had family members who lost their children you know, and who were still grieving over those losses, but the the resiliency that they had and the hope that they had and the reason why they were sharing their stories was to um, try to make the world a safer place for other people's family members and children. And so, like, continuing to share our stories and find that hope and and find ways to support each other was the was the beautiful piece of that work was Mm -hmm. that even though it really sucks and it's hard and, um, it feels like nothing's changing, there's so much work that individuals are doing, um, that really helps people, you know, want to keep moving forward to do the best that they can, um, despite the lack of response.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, yeah, that that was beautifully put. Finding the community.
1: There's nothing without hope. Because mm-hmm. you guys have to find a way to keep moving forward, despite the people, the I guess is it your government.
0: Yeah, is I it? mean, you're. De- I, this is such important work. I, I, yeah, I, I had, I, I knew, I had an idea of some of the work that you did, but the the weight of it, I can feel the importance mm-hmm. of it, and it's just, I thank you for doing that stuff. I mean, it's it's amazing.
1: Yeah, and thank you for talking to us and educating us on it. So, so we can get into your sobriety I mean, thank now you for asking that question. <laughs> I mean, this is, a,
0: I mean, this is, took it, took the conversation exactly where it should have gone. So yeah. thank you for asking yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, Let's let's just talk a little bit about I feel like we I want to keep talking about what we're talking about, but so maybe we'll we'll end up coming back to it. But I, I do want to get into a little bit of your story too, just so the so the listeners can get a, a better understanding of you as well. So we talked I talked a little bit about it at the beginning. I think you're coming up on 15 years, correct? 14. Oh, 14. 14. Dang it. My math, math is still is terrible. How would he get it together? <laughs> 14 years. It'll be 15 in, a year. <laughs> or in a, yeah. over a year, but, um, so why don't, can you just share with us a little bit of your experience with, uh, it's sounding like alcohol was my, probably your problem. I don't know if there were other substances that were, that were involved with it, but just kind of what that looked like for you and how what you, fe- you yeah. Recovery. What brought you to recovery.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, alcohol was the number one thing for me and was like, I never really got into hard drugs. And I I talk a little bit about that in my book, the reason why I I knew if I touched hard drugs, I would die. I just, I knew it deep in my, my body. I knew that I couldn't go there. Um, But I think like talking a little bit about uh, MMIWG and then talking about my story, it's, Uh, My story is their story too. And the fact that I'm alive today um, is a miracle because it could have easily been me, Um, uh, you know, experiencing childhood abuse. Like I I had two different lives growing up. I had one that was very safe um, and very grounded in my people's teachings and my grandmother's love and her stories. Um, But I had two parents, one who didn't stay around um, but both of them were active alcoholics. And so I grew up with an alcoholic mother and so was exposed to a lot of things because of that, you know, through parties at the house and people coming in and out of and out of our home. And so I started smoking when I was 10 and I started drinking when I was 12. And the moment I drank alcohol the, for the first time, that was it. I became a raging alcoholic by the time I was 12. Um and started hitchhiking, I hitchhiked the Highway of Tears at 12 years old, and um, put myself in a lot of really bad situations, because I had no, I didn't know what love was. And I didn't feel it. And so I, I was looking for that. And you know, one of the things I talk about is experiencing uh, racism from the age of five, like my first time being called a dirty squaw or a wagon burner, I was five years old getting called that by another five year old. And so I was in a school with primarily uh, white kids, and I was one of the only Native kids. And so every day I went to school, I was bullied and was told I was dirty and told I was a stupid Indian. And so when you hear that every day of your life as a child you begin to believe it and so I spent a lot of my childhood thinking I was dirty and ugly and stupid and that being an Indian was no good and so as I got older you know I became when I started drinking I became very promiscuous and was looking for someone to call me beautiful um because I didn't believe that I didn't believe it and I I wanted that love and so You know, really tried to find it and struggled with alcoholism for my entire life. I would try to get sober and then I just couldn't. I could, the longest I would last would be maybe a year and that would be it. I couldn't handle it and couldn't figure out why I couldn't stay sober. And then the last time I I attempted my sobriety, I was 30 years old and I was just past a year and I started having an anxiety attack and I wanted to drink. And what I later found out was that my anxiety was uh, my emotions and feelings coming up because drinking helped me numb it and drinking took away all of those memories and all of those feelings. And so that was why I, I loved, you know, alcohol. I could just totally not um, feel anything. And after a year of being dry, Uh, I those feelings and memories started to come back to me. And that's why I would start drinking again. And so my when I was 30, and that happened to me, I finally decided to deal with those feelings. Um, And that was when uh, I really took my recovery seriously. And that's when I became successful at staying sober past the year.
0: I love that. Wow. And so, in that after that year, where where, is that after this time, is that where you started the current time that you have now? Yeah. Wow.
1: So what did, what did, what did um, that look like? I know you mentioned AA, but is that when you also started therapy um, and what kind of therapies do you do? That type of thing.
2: I started a whole bunch of different things. Um, I started uh, looking into Buddhism um, I started yoga, I started meditating, um, I started seeing a trauma therapist. Um, and I also did tapping therapy. Uh, and I did AA. Um, when I first started dealing with my feelings, my godparents who are like 30 years sober now, um, they started, they made me go to AA meetings. I told them I needed to go to treatment. And they told me, if you go to 90 meetings in 90 days, then, um, and you still feel like you need treatment center, then then go, but try this first. And so that's what I did. And um, uh, that was kind of like, where I started talking about things and actually listening. And so it was that and I, I, was still kind of, I was still kind of mad at my own people about things I was holding on to a grudge. And so I didn't go back into my own ceremony right away, which is why I started getting into Buddhism. Um, but I was just trying to find some kind of faith and something out there to help keep me sober because I was, I was kind of not ready to go back to my, my own people's teachings yet.
0: Why, why weren't you ready to go back? She had a grudge. I know. Yeah,
2: it was just my, yeah, my, my mom had, when my mom had her stroke, I was 19 and my mom was heavily into ceremony and uh, protocols and, and, Um, When she had her stroke, um, we did all of the ceremonies and we were taking care of things that we like we were supposed to and she still had a massive stroke that left her unable to speak or walk. And at 19, that just I, I said, it was kind of like when people say, screw God, when things yeah. like that, if there, if you're really there, then, you why know, we you did this. Yeah. 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 It was exactly that. Like, why would you do this? We did everything we were supposed to. And so I totally, that when my mom had her stroke, that was when I just kind of turned, turned away from those beliefs.
0: Got it. Got it. Short, they're searching for something else for the time being.
2: And mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong,
1: but the statistics is alcohol quite prevalent in the indigenous communities alcoholism
2: yeah i mean it's about i mean it's about the same like when you uh, yeah when it's just that it's the stereotypes of like yeah what like the it's it's just what's kind of brought up but when you I think for us, like we even start to believe that. And then like, even just being on Instagram, like how people are starting to normalize recovery and sobriety um, you start to see how much it affects like everybody. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. Just-
1: no, that's a total stigma. Like, cause I've heard it in, in different podcasts. I heard it when I went through treatment. Um and yeah, it's yeah. Just I remember something. when I,
0: because I, I mean, in America, that's something that you hear a lot. I mean, it's just something that people tell you all the time. I remember my 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 oldest brother. He's um, really you know, supportive of the Native American community and all that stuff. And he would always tell me, he's like, no, that's, that's bullshit. Don't oh, listen to that. Oh, Paul yeah, would tell yeah. you that? So wow. he would always fill me in That's. it's just one of those things that start getting said. And then, Stigma. so it's, it's interesting to hear that it's like the same thing over in Canada yeah. or not interesting, kind of terrible to hear that it's kind of the same, yeah. same words are being spread about that as well.
1: So um, I had another question, but I totally forgot it. So, oh, here it is. So did the 90 and 90 work for you or did you actually go to treatment after that?
2: Uh, I didn't go to treatment and I didn't actually get 90 and 90. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, I, did, I was doing about three to four meetings a week.
1: Okay. And you were already a mom. Mm-hmm. And were you already with your current partner?
2: No. So when I first, so when I was 30, Um, I've been, I've been married a few times and each of my children have different dads. (laughs) So I, uh, I try, I think about, so with my first son, um, we were, I got pregnant when I was 17 and I had him when I was 18 with my first boyfriend and we split up right after my son was born. Um, and then my, my daughter who's 10 now, her dad and I were married for 14 years Um, and, but we were both raging, like we were both alcoholics. And so, um, but we both got sober, uh, before our daughter was born. And so we went through kind of recovery together and, um, actually found out that we didn't know each other that well, and that we probably shouldn't be together. Um, and we learned that through our sobriety, Mm -hmm. um, and how codependent and and toxic we were together. So that was, we tried to reconcile a few times and just didn't work. And so now he's one of my best friends. Um, him and his uh, wife are. We're so his his wife is one of my best friends, and so it's really nice um, to be able to have that support. But um, my daughter was. I I got sober just before my daughter was born. Um, but my son, my oldest son, kind of grew up with the the worst part of me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And are you? Is he? Are you? St- are you, is he still in your life? Are you? Is he still?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm. we're so lucky because he is such an amazing young man. Um, he dealt with some of his own issues uh, early on in his early 20s. Um, and we did a lot of healing work together. And he's just the most amazing young man. And uh, he holds me up so much. We were super close, like, hey. Yeah, we've gone through a lot together. Yeah, yeah. come the, out yeah. the other side, right? Yeah. That's yeah.
0: Really that, I mean, yeah. if you can make it through that other side, then that bond is, is yeah. something to behold. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that
0: is powerful. So oh, this has been such a good episode, but I, there's one thing I really wanted to, uh, I, you put a post on Instagram where, again, everyone should follow you on there. We'll give the links in the show notes and everything like that, but go, kind of bringing it back to um, calling my spirit back. You're kind of doing something cool. And I wanted to have the listeners, first of all, they should go out and get your book. That should be the first number thing. And then second thing they should do is they should leave a review on Amazon because Mm -hmm. I know you're trying to, you already have 98, which is amazing, but you're trying to get a little bit of a higher number because you're trying to get you self-published and you're Mm -hmm. trying to get it uh, uh, published through Hay House. Is that correct? Yeah. So why don't you just share a little bit about that?
2: So I have a hundred and four reviews oh, now. Oh <laughs>
0: nice! There you go. Cracking yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it was funny because I hesitated sharing that post. Like, you know, people often say, don't share your dreams and keep it to yourself until until it's worth right. sharing. But I just feel like so many people have been supporting me so much on Instagram. It's like everybody that follows me and leaves a comment and sends me a message has just kind of like lifted me up and like given me that confidence to keep going forward um that I otherwise might not have had on my own and so that has meant so much to me and so why I feel like it's okay for me to be vulnerable and share those dreams even if I might fail and so um Hay House has been like the ultimate publishing company, you know, since I was young, that what would be my biggest dream would be to have my book published by Hay House, that would be like my ultimate dream. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, ever think it was possible enough. And I haven't been able to get uh, a literary agent for my book, you know, I've been turned down a few times. And I've had people really pushing my book to traditional publishers in Canada, and it just hasn't been picked up. And so, but I've sold. So in Canada, you need to sell uh, between three to 5000 books to be considered a bestseller in Canada. And I've sold over 6,000 books. That's so cool. And it's (laughs) self-published. Yeah. What the heck? That's so great. (laughs) So it's that alone is like, I I felt like I was okay not being traditionally published. I felt like the whole purpose wasn't that, you know, wasn't to have that, but was to help people. And then. Um, It just came up on my, I somehow stumbled upon the writers community for Hay House that you can join the writers community and get some coaching and, you know, if you want to write more books. And so I decided to join that I thought, you know, I'm always trying to find ways to invest in myself and be better on different levels. And so I did that. And then through that, I found out they have a competition for their writers community, that um, if you join their writers retreat, then you're you can enter your manuscript or your book proposal for uh, a traditional publishing contract with Hay House. And So um, that's the first prize. And then the second prize is to get self-published with Balboa Press, which is their self-publishing company. And so I just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to enter this. I'm going to put everything I am into writing this book proposal and making it the best so I can win this contest and so I joined one of their calls and they were giving us tips on you know things to think about and what we need to pay attention to and our platform and you know our our reviews and what that looks like and so that was one of the things they said if you they'll look at your your Amazon uh, page and see how many reviews you have and if you have a hundred reviews that's a good indicator that you're you have a successful book. Aww, you and so I went and looked at my reviews. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I went and looked and I saw 98 and I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm two reviews away. Yeah. <laughs> and so I shared that. And like within two hours, I had like an extra six reviews. So that's Aww. so great.
0: The I mean, part, I, I I mean, like, I don't know. I, I'm I'm very optimistic for you. Yeah, because I, I just like am blown away by you right now. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like <laughs> like with like everything that you've gone through, everything you've come back from, how much you are helping people, I mean, it's just you know, you've got you've done such incredible things, and your work is so important. So uh, important, and
1: it's desperately needed. Yeah,
0: and I just think it's so like I know you're talking about. You always hear about people in the like you talked about how don't you know keep it to yourself, but I think there's something really honest and genuine and vulnerable about mm-hmm. what you're what you're talking about, and it's it's like when I read it, I I caught it. I, I was just like so excited for you. Like, I would just wanted to cheer you on. You know what I mean? It didn't come off as be like, Oh, why is she talking about it? But you know, it came off just so authentic and so real. And you know, Mm -hmm. you're pursuing a a, a dream of yours, you know, and going in full on and there's nothing bad that can come from that at all. You gave it a shot. I have a feeling it's going to work out. If for some reason it doesn't, you know, at least you went all in.
1: And you Mm -hmm. never know what that's going to lead you to like, because what I was reminded of in the, in the beginning, when you were talking about your story writing process is that you knew you wanted to write a book, but you weren't quite sure where, where that book, what it was going to look like, but you followed that. Right. And then that took you to where you got into the deeper part of your community and the, the, the women and the children that really needed you and and who you could connect with. Mm -hmm. And so just by following your dream of, okay, I want to write a book, but I don't know what I want to write it about led you down this whole other path. And I mean, that that's, even if this Hay House thing, if the competition doesn't work, you don't know who's going to see it or what's going to come of
0: it. And you're already killing it anyway. So
2: (laughs) I know you're already bestseller. So So when does this competition end or start or so the writing retreat is, uh, March 27th and 28th. And then, um, we have until June 30th to submit our, our book proposal. And then they announce the winners, uh, at the end of August. Wow. So is it, are you using the same book? Or are you doing a whole other book? I'm going to use the same book. Okay, um, yeah, because I, I I don't have a book proposal for it. And I learned like I learned how to write my book off of YouTube videos. Nice. <laughs> wow. so, so I watched like a 100 hours worth of YouTube videos on how to write a book. And then I watched another 100 hours of videos on how to distribute and market your own book. And wow. so everything I learned was from watching YouTube. And so um It would be just, you know, so nice to after I wrote the book and had it self-published, I learned the importance of a book proposal. (laughs) Mm. And so I never did have a book proposal for my book. And apparently that's like the number one thing you have to have. Mm. So you're just working backwards. And yeah. And the the
1: footwork you have done by sitting and watching two hundred hours yeah. on
0: YouTube <laughs> and writing the book <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and writing it in twenty-nine
1: days, locked self, in a room. You know,
0: the promotion yourself. Yeah, and <laughs> promoting
1: yourself. It's just it's good for you. Your your journey is so inspiring and the work you're doing is so important. And this podcast, we cannot tell you just like how honored we are that you came on and you shared with us and I mean, I've learned so much. Me I didn't too. even know we were going to go me there. And I mean,
0: I, yeah. I mean, I went to places that I'm just yeah. so grateful to learn about. And
1: your work gives me hope because I know there is so much in the world that needs to change, but I am unable to change. Mm-hmm. And knowing that there are people like you out there making a difference, putting in the work, yeah, and, and yeah, putting in the work, I just it brings me hope. So I am so grateful for you.
2: Thank you for that. And, you know, I've been having these conversations with a lot of people and I like when we know that there's supposed to be change and we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing is the real understanding of self that it's the work that we do for ourselves and the people we are in the world that changes things and how you raise your children um, is that you're, you know, that is going to change things for my children. And so if people are willing and open to have these conversations and learn these things and raise their children in love, those children are going to be the ones that grow up with my children and my mm-hmm. children won't grow up the way I did. And so I believe we all are so important in this work. And just by having these conversations and creating the space to share these stories, that work is so important. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, it's who you, it's how you raise your kids too. And we have
1: three, so we better get started.
0: (laughs) I haven't taught him a damn thing. (laughs) yet.
1: Well, you can't even do math. (laughs) You just got the math wrong earlier. (laughs) So, Elaine, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours, but we don't want to take up any more of your time. And and we're just feel so deep right now. Is there anything that you feel that you would like to share that we didn't touch on, or anything you would like to add to the conversation? Nope. Okay. Yeah, we felt it was pretty full circle, yeah. <laughs> um, but we do like to ask our, our, our guests, if there, if you could go back in time to a moment in life where you were really struggling, what is one piece of advice that you would give yourself or maybe somebody else who is, who is struggling like you once were?
2: Oh my gosh. If I could go back, I would tell the person my story. I would tell myself my story so that they knew that they weren't alone
0: Oh, that's powerful. That is powerful. That's so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> that just gave me so many goosebumps. So, wow. so before, before we say goodbye, why don't you just fill everyone in on where they can find you, where they can find your book and anything you want to, anything you want to share with our listeners to, to be, help them be able to find you.
2: Sure. Um, I have everything on my website. So it's www.elainealek.com, And I have links to all of my work in social media and where to buy the book on,
0: on that page. Beautiful. Well, wow. we'll, be,
2: we'll keep following your journey. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. I'm rooting
2: for you. <laughs> thank you so much. And thank, thank you for, for yeah. Thank you for time. taking the
0: time. This was honestly no joke. I and I know I can speak for Melissa. This was an amazing interview. Thank you. Like this went to this meant so much. To yeah. yeah. So thank you for taking thank the time.
2: You. Awesome. Thank right. you thank both you. so much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. So we'll talk
0: to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. bye.